This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino, the The Big Dinosaur Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast. where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we have an interview with Taylor McCoy, the creator of Everything Dinosaurs, a discussion of Camptosaurus, and a whole bunch of news. First in the news, we have a story out of the journal Science that was published on Friday. They discovered two new mammals, which isn't our usual topic, but the interesting thing is that both of these were around in the Jurassic era coexisting with dinosaurs. So one of them, which I'm going to mispronounce, but something like Decophosaur brachydactylus was around about 160 million years ago, and it was the oldest subterranean mammal that's been discovered so far. So it's pretty similar to a shrew, you know, that small, few inches long, sharp claws, sharp teeth, lived underground, burrowed, all that kind of stuff. Then the other one that's a little bit older, but not any remarkable thing like the oldest of anything, is another arboreal mammal called Agilodocodon, which had curved claws for climbing trees, but its teeth and diet were similar to a new word that I learned today called gumnivores or gumnivorous animals, which means that they eat sap. So there are some monkeys that still do that. And it looks pretty similar to some of them. So it's an interesting one. It adds some more depth to what I imagine in an ancient dinosaur environment, having mammals in the trees and underground. In Jurassic World news, they are starting to launch Legos, which are, as Legos always are, ridiculously expensive. I think this one, it's called the Indominus Rex Breakout, and it's got the little Indominus Rex figurine and it's got the little ball that you see in the trailer of the movie with the two kids inside it. I don't know if you can fit people in it or what, but I think it's, it's over $100, pretty expensive, but kind of neat looking. And then at the Edinburgh Zoo, in real life, they're adding a bunch of dinosaurs to their zoo, animatronic dinosaurs, I should specify. The one that I could find is called Velma the Velociraptor, but it's a little disappointing because it's 13 feet long and it's clearly a Deinonychus. So from what I can tell, most of this confusion comes from the movie Jurassic Park, where they call them velociraptors, but they're not. (laughs) They are raptors. They're in in that group. But there was a 1988 book called Predatory Dinosaurs of the World by Gregory S. Paul, and it was really popular, but it was kind of controversial. One of the things that 
he decided and talked about in the book was that velociraptors, which are the smaller cousin of Deinonychus, you know, roughly two meters long or something, and pretty short, it's kind of like the size of a dog or something, um, was actually the same species as Deinonychus. So he called them both Velociraptor because Velociraptor was discovered earlier and that's how the naming convention works. And Crichton, Michael Crichton actually read this book when he was doing research for Jurassic Park and credited Paul as one of his inspirations. So it's pretty clear that that's where his misconception of the Velociraptor versus the Deinonychus came from. But in 2015, it's kind of sad that it still hasn't been straightened out. It's like a lot of these dinosaur misconceptions like Brontosaurus that's been known to not be the real <laughs> name of uh, Apatosaurus for a long time, but it's still around and still the public conscious, mostly because of movies and things that don't get the facts straight. In a very interesting note, and I think very good news, the House of Representatives is actually pushing to pardon Pete Larson. We talked about in our first episode the documentary Dinosaur 13, which talks about Sue the T-Rex and all the legal battles that went around it. And the Daily Republic is has published that um, HSR 1002 was passed by the House of Representatives 67 to 2 to pardon Pete Larson, and it's now moving on to the Senate. So if that moves forward, we might see a swing in and a nice little footnote added to the movie Dinosaur 13. That would be great. Last but not least, there are two pieces of sort of video game dinosaur news. There's a game called The Stomping Land that raised over $100,000 on Kickstarter, but it is being abandoned by the creator, or so he says. So if it's going to be a multiplayer survivor game that took place with, I guess, dinosaurs all around you, but I guess they've lost some of their talent and he's decided to give up and do other work. It's one of the interesting things about Kickstarter. There's really no promise that you're ever going to get anything that you pay for. So I'm wondering how many of these things are going to happen before there's a bit of a backlash. I'd be kind of upset. But in better news, possibly, if you use the Google Chrome browser and you get one of those page not founds where there's a little dinosaur on the screen, I just learned that if you press the space button, it turns into a little endless runner game, which is like Temple Run and some of the other popular games where you have to tap to jump over things. Kind of like Sonic, I guess. Similar. So... I haven't gotten a page not found error since I read that, but I'm looking forward to it. So I can be a little dinosaur running along. <laughs> this episode's brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. 
Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. So on that note, now we'll go to our interview with Taylor McCoy, who's the creator of the Weebly website, Everything Dinosaurs. Although he's not a paleontologist, he is a dino enthusiast like us, and he has his own fossil collection. How did you get into dinosaurs? Well, it all started when I was just a little kid growing up. It was always something I loved. After watching Jurassic Park as a kid, I really fed that. And as I got older, it was just something I continued to reason a little deeper into it once I got a better understanding of what things, of how they were. So did you you research things on your own? How did you get a better understanding? My curiosity was uh, really piqued with the dinosaurs. So I just started reading up on books and looking at different websites and watched a ton of documentaries and really helped to get my, uh, help my understanding grow on them. What kind of documentaries or books would you recommend to people who might be starting out? One of my personal favorites as far as documentaries goes, probably When Dinosaurs Roamed America. It was uh, the Discovery one. It was oh, it seemed very accurate to me. And things like the, the raptors being feathered and the T-Rexes hunting in family packs. It always kind of gave a good idea of how they lived and how they died in some cases. The animation as well. <laughs> So then at some point you decided to create your own website, Everything Dinosaurs. How did you come up with that? Well, friends of mine actually, and something completely unrelated, kind of just showed me the, the source for it, Weebly.com. And I thought to myself that that would be a good way to help get my voice heard in the world of paleontology. So I looked into it, and I saw it was free, it was quick and easy, and I decided to go for it. It turned out really well in the end. It's a great site, really great resource for people who want to know if they're looking for any kind of specific dinosaur. I thank you. <laughs> so you said you have, how many, it's 151 species up there right now, is that right? Yep, no, 151st was just added uh, not too long ago. That's great. Are you planning on posting about every uh, dinosaur species discovered? As many as I can get, at least. So how do you find out information and put everything together in a post? Well, usually I'll try to think back on what I have learned about it in the past and what I, the knowledge I've accumulated on that particular species. Then I'll go and do a little more research online or in books just to kind of refresh my memory, maybe help me remember things I didn't 
I forgot about at one point or maybe learn something new that they just recently discovered about a certain animal. And then I'll go and kind of put that all together and I'll put that on the website for the page. Do you ever talk to paleontologists? I do on occasion. I, uh, I was lucky enough to speak with Peter Larson and Jack Horner and Phil Curry via email before and talk to them a little bit about uh, dinosaurs, and it's always very enriching. Do they contribute to your site? Uh, I've mentioned it to them, and they've, uh, they've visited before, and they all said it's very impressive and very professional-looking, so it helps me know that I'm doing a good job with it. And how often do you update and add new species? Uh, it can be a little random sometimes, but I'll definitely try to make sure it doesn't go too long in between new additions. Every couple of weeks, maybe, and there'll be a new one up. What are some of the most popular dinosaurs on the site, Everything Dinosaurs? T-Rex is definitely the most popularly visited by far, simply probably because it's the most famous dinosaur out there. You go to a website about dinosaurs, you always got to look for the T-Rex page, see what it says on it. I know you've mentioned you have some radical theories on T-Rex, so what are some of those theories? <laughs> yeah, some of them, probably the biggest one is... Uh, my theory that T-Rex was actually the largest of all the theropods, something that has kind of been a subject of controversy whenever the discoveries of Giganosaurus and the re- and the re-discovery, uh, you could say, of Spinosaurus all came to light. People started thinking, oh, maybe there's dinosaurs bigger than T-Rex. But I had, uh, and I had thought that myself, but after a while I started thinking to myself, well, maybe we should revisit T-Rex a little bit and see, is that really the case? And I started drawing some different conclusions. That it was larger? Heavier, at least. I do believe that Spinosaurus, at least, maybe Giganotosaurus as well, were longer on average and maybe a little taller. But mass is really what it comes down to when determining which animal is larger than the other. And to me, T-Rex seems to have the greater mass. Could you elaborate more on how you came up with these conclusions? Well, I was noticing a trend with Giganotosaurus and Spinosaurus, that these were animals that obviously were very large, but overall seemed lightly built, especially in the skull. They had long skulls, but they weren't very heavily built. T-Rex's skull wasn't nearly as long, but it was very heavily built, very robust. And in a way, it's like a, an anaconda versus a crocodile as far as size goes. The anaconda will be twice the length in some cases, but maybe half the weight. Mm-hmm. And I was noticing a similar trend with these animals. So I know it, uh, officially you're not you're not a paleontologist. This is more of a passionate hobby, right? Do you ever go yeah. on digs? Personal ones, you could say. I've gone to different locations. I know fossils can be found, and I'll look around. And I actually have a big trip planned this summer to go cross country and. Some sites are on the list, including the Green River Formation out west. Mm-hmm. One of my looking around there for something. I know you have a fossil collection. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, it, for that, it all—it was one of those things that once again started when I was a kid. I uh, would get a fossil from my parents as a little present, a little fish fossil or something. And over the years, it really grew. I think I'm at. 40 or 50-some fossils, that includes a few replicas that I have acquired as well, mm-hmm. and got them from a bunch of different means, uh, whether I just purchased them or found them myself, and it really took off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so your fossil collection includes dinosaurs as well as other things. Do you have yeah, a lot a of... a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. 
what are some of your favorites? I have a Megalodon tooth that I had purchased uh, when I was little. It's always been one of my favorites. It's in pretty decent shape, which is really nice. I also have some whale vertebrae that I'm pretty proud of. Do you have any favorite dinosaur ones? I have a Spinosaurus tooth, and I've definitely grown attached to that one. It's just a little one, but I always enjoyed it. How'd you find that one? Actually, there's a store down in the uh, Outer Banks of North Carolina that I've been to many times, because I know they have a lot of fossils there, and I always... Every time we, I ever go down there, I make sure to take a visit and see what they got. Yeah. How do you find most of the fossils? Are you you're able to purchase them at different places, or you, have you actually stumbled upon them on a walk or something? I go to, uh, it varies. Like, uh, museums will often have them in gift shops, and I always like to see what they have in their collection. Online is a good place, because uh, I get a lot of replicas from a certain websites, and I have a link to it on my site called uh, prehistoricstore.com. They have a lot of very good quality fossil replicas. They have a few real ones as well. But really, I'll just keep an eye out for them in uh, different places. And then, like I said, uh, if I'm in a place I know fossils can be found, I'll keep an eye out and dig around a little bit and hope I get lucky. It's a lot of luck in some cases. So you mentioned that you have visited the Carnegie Museum of Natural History a lot. What's there to see for dinosaur enthusiasts? Oh, it's a really good uh, good museum to see. I think, if I'm correct, they have the largest collection of Jurassic dinosaurs anywhere in the world, and I think maybe the third largest collection of dinosaur fossils in the United States. So there's a great variety there. A lot of familiar faces like T-Rex and Triceratops, some that people might not have heard of, like Ceratosaurus and Dryosaurus. One of my favorite displays they have is the is a scene of two Tyrannosaurs facing off against each other over the carcass of an Edmontosaurus. And one of the T-Rexes is actually the holotype specimen, the first one ever found. Specimen number, I think, is CM9380. And it's a very impressive display. The T-Rex skeleton of the holotype is actually one you'll see a lot online. The Wikipedia page for T-Rex uses the same picture of that specimen. And there's a very large collection. I mean, there's also a little window in, uh, I think it's the pre- uh, paleontology lab that you can look in and watch a scientist work on some fossils. It's very impressive. You mentioned a few other places that you, you're planning this great cross-country trip and everything. What are some sites that you'd recommend people who love dinosaurs should see if they get a chance? I would definitely recommend Dinosaur National Monument in Utah. I plan on going out there while I'm out. And it's very impressive. Lots of Jurassic dinosaurs, if you want to see some of them. Also, you got to go to the Chicago Field Museum and see Sue, the most complete T-Rex ever found. It's kind of the uh, top of my radar right now. I really want to see that one. Oh, of course, you got to go to the American Museum of Natural History in New York. That's probably the most famous museum in the world and they have a very nice collection of dinosaurs. And it's almost, in a way, you could call it the old school way, where they're not in an environment as if they were living. They're all posed accurately, but it's kind of the old school style, just lining up the bones. And in a way, it's, it's pretty cool in that way, actually, in my opinion. Interesting. What's So the new school is more, how is that different? Uh, in a way, it's like the display at the Carnegie that I mentioned, where you see two tyrannosaurs facing off. There's plants around them in an environment that would have been 
similar to what they were living in, more like a picture of the past in the display. Since you mentioned Jurassic Park earlier, what are your thoughts on the Jurassic World movie? I, for one, am very excited to see how it goes down. I think it's going to be very fun to watch. And I know some people are a little bummed that the dinosaurs won't be feathered because they wanted to see Jurassic Park take on a more accurate look. And I, I, thought, I thought to myself that we have to keep in mind it is a science fiction movie. It's not supposed to be a documentary. So I'm, I'm fine with scaly dinosaurs as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. What about the hybrid dinosaurs, like the stegoceratops? Well, as far as I know, that one's just a toy for the, the Hasbro's toy lineup, but the one that they're making for the movie, the uh, Indominus Rex, I believe is what it's called, that one certainly looks interesting to me. How do you feel about them combining the two different dinosaurs? I think it's creative. I don't, I don't think it's one, uh, an idea most people would have thought of. So if they can do it right, I think it would be very cool and very impressive. Mm -hmm. Although there is a bit of a risk involved. Yeah, that's true. But there's, uh, I know also circulating around, was it Make Your Own Theropod? That hashtag, and people have been putting together different crazy uh, hybrids, kind of. I don't know if they were upset about the one in Jurassic World or just to, for their own creative purposes. I think as far as if it, uh, being their own creative purposes, it's a pretty good idea. Help show your own creativity and see what you can come up with. I think that's kind of what they were doing in Jurassic World. If they're just angry about it, then uh, I guess that's their problem. <laughs> uh, so Everything Dinosaurs also has a Google Plus community. How do you get people involved? I just make sure the community keeps running. I make sure I post things about everything dinosaur updates or maybe new dinosaur news. And then people take note of that and think to themselves, I can get involved too. I can have my voice heard. And some people do. And uh, I've seen a lot of cool posts from members of the community. I like to always make sure I plus one them or comment on them to let them know I appreciate their uh, taking part. People who may not have visited your site before, what can they expect to find on Everything Dinosaurs? Well, it's very easy to navigate, so it shouldn't, they shouldn't have trouble as far as that goes. They can find it. It's, it's more general information. It's kind of a starting point for people. It doesn't go too in-depth, but it covers a good scope of things. So they can help. that helps them get a good jumping point. They can go from there. They'll see things from dinosaurs to non-dinosaurs. What they won't find are animals that live before and after dinosaurs. I know some sites will feature things like megalodon or woolly mammoths, and that's, that's important too, but everything dinosaurs for me is more about dinosaurs and who they lived with as well, their contemporaries. So it's a very Mesozoic-oriented site. If I were to say anything else, I would just say for all the people out there who love dinosaurs, keep digging. There's always more to learn. Great. Well, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Our dinosaur of the day is Juratyrant, which means Jurassic Tyrant. It was a small tyrannosaur, about three meters long, from the Kimridge Clay Formation of Dorset, England. It lived in the Jurassic, obviously Jurassic Tyrant, about 149 million years ago. It was around before the larger tyrannosaurids, but it's not clear what they looked like or how Jura Tyrant lived.
Juratyrin is classified as its own species based on a partial skeleton, which included a complete pelvis, leg, neck, back, and tail vertebrae. But unfortunately, it's missing some really important pieces of the skeleton. So it's missing the skull and the forelimbs, and without those, it's a little difficult to tell exactly what it looked like. The first skeleton was discovered in 1984 in Dorset, and it's been mentioned in several papers, but wasn't formally described until 2008. In 2008, the paleontologist Roger Benson wrote about Juratyrant, but he thought it was part of the genus Stoxosaurus. So Juratyrant was originally called Juratyrant Langhammy, after Peter Langham, who discovered the first bones. But later studies found that Juratyrant may not have been a close relative of Stoxosaurus clevelandi, but that's the species of the Stoxosaurus genus. So in 2013, Benson and Stephen Brusset reclassified Juratyrant Langhammy as its own species, and it kept the name Langhammy because that was its original species name. So Juratyrant probably ate smaller dinosaurs, or maybe juveniles of larger dinosaurs, but it probably got snacks from small mammals, reptiles, and amphibians to add to its diet. It most likely had feathers and was about 10 feet long and weighed about 500 pounds. Since we have the femur and the pelvis, you can tell the weight pretty well. So that's how we can get that information even without the skull or the arms. For that size and weight, it was a moderate build and it probably had a long, narrow skull. Until recently, there were not that many tyrannosaurs known in England. Tyrannosaurs are usually associated with North America, the giant ones, and Tyrannosaurus rex, and Asia, which is the smaller ones, the earlier ones. The first Tyrannosaur in England was discovered in 2001. It's the Erotyrannus, which means Dawn Tyrant, and it was a fast and lightweight Tyrannosaur with long arms. Juratyrant is part of the family Proceratosauridae which is a family that lived in the Middle Jurassic to Early Cretaceous period. Proceratosauridae was first named in 2010 by Oliver Raoult and his colleagues when they reevaluated the genus Proceratosaurus. Proceratosaurus was a genus of small theropod carnivores that lived in England. They're considered to be a cellarosaur, which is more closely related to birds than carnosaurs, and a tyrannosaurid. Proceratosaurus was also most closely related to the Chinese tyrannosaurid, Guanlong, which means crowned dragon. And our fun fact is that in order to identify a new dinosaur species, you only need one dinosaur skeleton. It can be either complete or partial, and nearly half of the approximate 1,200 named dinosaurs have been identified based on only one skeleton. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. From now until March 15th, we're hosting a Big Dinosaur Podcast giveaway. Prizes include a $50 gift card to iTunes, a free copy of Dr. Anthony J. Martin's book, Dinosaurs Without Bones, and a free copy of the documentary Dinosaur 13. To enter our giveaway, please visit iknowdino.com and look for the post podcast giveaway You'll have a few options to enter, no purchase necessary, but you can review our podcast on iTunes, follow or tweet us at iKnowDino, check out our Facebook page, and join our mailing list. And of course, 
tell all your friends. Until next time.